Well, listen, this is number four, so thank you that you're all on course going the distance with this one. So let me just remind you where we're up to. Uh, I hope you've been blessed in the meeting together as best as you've been able to. Uh, it's so important that we are here together because it's when we're together that we are the church. I know there's, the, there's that phrase that says, oh, you're the church wherever you go, but you're not. Because the word church means gathering. Uh, church is God's people together, standing, sitting under his word with Christ at the centre. So thank you for gathering. We'll have seen that being a member of a church is so much more than just turning up on a Sunday, doing Christian duty and going to a few members meetings. The whole idea of membership is the way we define the nature of our relationship together. And that isn't something we want to co- uh, sort of cook up ourselves. It's, we want it to be defined and shaped by what the Bible has to say. The Lord hasn't just told us to relate to other, one another. He's actually shown us how to do it in his word, the Bible. So we want our church to reflect that the very, very best we can. And one of the other things that we've looked at, and this is just by way of reminder, is to say that, well, there's something supernatural going on. We're being called and taken up to, uh, and taken up in something much bigger than ourselves whenever we're doing anything to do with local church. So you remember, we, the second we can be, become believers... Uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are ushered into the family of the church, capital C. All believers from every place, in every year, down through history, in the future, uh, that end time community who belong to Jesus, church, capital C. But the model of the New Testament is we gather together more locally into local expressions and we commit there. We say, this is the place, this is the gathering that the Lord has caused me to walk out my service, my worship, my growth, and it will be with this body of believers, uh, and we will seek to reflect everything the Lord wants us to be. Okay? So, I've called this one number four. I'm sorry, the first week, uh, the first session, we looked at why membership, how it would be impossible to try and do so many things that the Bible says we're supposed to do if we didn't have a formal membership. Uh, The second time, we looked at the direction and thrust of membership, which is growing in Christ, discipling, encouraging, building one another up, Ephesians 4, growing up into him. The last one we did was we said, well, what is the basis of our unity together? And it is our belief. So what we have is a statement of faith that doesn't say everything the Bible says, but highlights the core doctrines for which if you do not stand by them, defend them, agree to them, rejoice in them, you can't be a member of the church because it means you can be a member of something, but you can't be a member of the church because it's, it's, it's that confession that defines us. So having agreed we've got to be a bunch of people together, what we're going to look at this week, well, I like my title, Family Business. So we're not just told that we're supposed to relate to one another as a church family. Uh, we're described as the household of God, we're described as a building, described as a family, and we're described as a body. We're not just told that we have to, we're also told how we are to. And today we're going to just get a better understanding. So, Alvin, this is a bit nuts and boltsy, but I suppose the best way that I can sell it to you is by saying the Lord has given us a framework that if everybody within the framework is doing their bit, everybody will thrive. Anybody here not want to thrive? We all want to thrive, don't we? We all want to grow and we all want to mature. So, very quickly, I just want to do this first bit. If you look down at the sheet, it says uh, the mentality. The mentality that you bring to church is familial, i.e. that of a family. What is the favourite way in which the apostles...
Apostle Paul speaks of other believers. He calls them friends, brothers or sisters, brothers and sisters in Christ. So what we saw two times ago was there's a whole raft of one another's in the New Testament. Can anybody remember how many there are? Have a guess. One another's. How many times it says, love one another, forgive one another, bear with one another. Sorry? You're close, 47, close. You're even closer. 58 times, apparently. I've read them all. I trusted somebody else counting them. 58. Now, I mentioned three just then. Let's shout out as many as we can remember. Love one another. Forgive one another. Bear with one another. What else? Be devoted to one another. Good. What else? Yeah, confess to one another. Good. We're up to what? Six? Somebody said something down here? Build one another up, yeah, or build it, yeah, being built up together, yeah. Encourage one another, good. Pray for one another, good, what else? Admonish. Admonish, yeah, that's the one that's always somebody else's job to do that for one another, good, what else? Serve one another, good, what else? We've got this attitude, and this is the wonderful New Testament attitude, which is, oh, we're going to look at it when we do covenants in a couple of times, uh, t- uh, uh, sessions time, but the, the way this works is that you don't do those things to other people to the degree that they've done it to you. So I'm in relationship with Michelle, and she looks at me and goes, Steve, you ain't served me, you haven't loved me, you haven't prayed for me, you haven't encouraged me, you haven't rebuked me, you haven't admonished me, you haven't done none of that, so I ain't going to do it for you. Which is the way the world works. We will love and move towards somebody to the degree that they have loved and moved towards us, or there's advantage in it for us. Do you understand? Whenever the Bible says, uh, says to, that within the church we're supposed to do all of those things, you do it for somebody. Michelle isn't off the hook. Michelle has to do those things for me out of love for Christ and honour whether or not I have done it for her. Now, part of that will be, hey Steve, she has to rebuke me. Hey Steve, you haven't been loving for me. You say you belong to Jesus. What gives? How's that working? But you see this, this familial attitude that says, listen, we are connected and we will move towards people independent of whether they've moved towards us. So what does that mean? It means that whenever you've got a problem with somebody, it's your problem. In the right sense. If there's something not working in the church, it's for you to step up and take a measure of responsibility. The Lord is so annoying the way he does this. He always bats it back to you and me. Every single time. Do you see that? Wow. That's quite scary, isn't it? Because it means there's no limits on what you lot are expected to do to love, serve me, encourage me, see me grow into Christ. And there's no limits. That's why pastors always look like death warmed up. But there's no limits as to what I could do to see you built up and encouraged. And what you do as a member is you say, we're all going to be on board with that idea of, of not saying, of saying it depends on me. Saying that I'm going to push and help and move towards and seek growth in others. Does that make sense? Okay. Have a look, if you would, at this idea of brotherhood. 
and mature supporting immature. Okay? And I think we can't get around it. The bottom line is there is such a thing as spiritual babies, people who are younger in the faith, people who have not grown up in the faith yet. The, the idea is that everybody wants to, we want everybody growing in the faith. But turn up, will you, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12 to 15. 1 Thessalonians 5, chapter, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, chapter, uh, verse 12. I'll get my words out in a minute. And I'm looking for somebody who would gladden my heart by being willing to read those four verses. Brilliant, thank you, Kaylee. Nice. 12 through to 15. sisters aiming to work out 
one another's. This is the, the mentality, the way we do it. So very quickly, I've rushed through all of that. You've got two questions. Just have a little look at whilst you finish eating your butties and drink your tea. Uh, can I give you five minutes in your groups to have a look at those two questions? Number one, when and in what way were you helped by a more mature believer? Somebody who's just walked a few more miles with Christ than, than you have. How do you respond to the responsibility being on you? Okay? So you've got time, just to five, ten minutes, just to talk it through in your groups while I, whilst I eat my butty. Is that alright? If that's the mentality of how we're trying to move towards each other, what's the actual structure? Well, the structure is one that sort of echoes that uh, and the basic structure of the New Testament, the way churches worked, was churches were set up uh, under the responsibility of leaders who are there to serve us that we may flourish. And yet those leaders come with a measure of authority as well. So we're going to look at how that works together. I could have done about six hours on this, and I've got so much Bible stuff that I want to throw at you. So I'll try and go at a sensible pace, uh, but I've got to do some things quickly, so I will not have a problem if you come back in the question time and want to ask me a little bit about this. Okay, so the basic structure of New Testament churches, the two categories of leaders that we see are the elder oversight pastor, that's one and the same role, and if you want, me to sh if you want to see that in action, go to Acts chapter 20 or 1 Peter chapter 5, don't do it now chase it up later, just take my word for it for a moment. Elder, overseer, pastor. Uh, elder, um, carrying the idea of maturity. Overseer, role of governance, power, or bishop, that word sometimes. Uh, pastor, the idea of being a shepherd. Then you've got, uh, so you've got your, your elders, pastors, overseers. Then you've got deacons, and their task is to relieve the uh, elders of the responsibility of making the tra trains run on time and dealing with practical issues. They're to be godly in the way they conduct their ministry, but their job is, if you like, to clear the way for word and prayer ministries. I haven't got time to talk to you uh, about that very much today, although we've got deacons, we've got good quality deacons in our church. Uh, there's another one that's not biblical that we have in our church. Uh, it's not unbiblical, but it's not biblical. It's because of the way that we as a church have to function legally in our country. We have to have trustees because of the amount of money coming in and out because we're a charitable organisation. Now the trustees in our church family are made up predominantly of elders plus a couple of other members in good standing. Uh, and the trustees, they sort of take care of legal, structural, financial implications. Uh, and they sort of clear the decks of that and then submit an annual report to the Charity Commission once a year. So trustees aren't unbiblical, they're not a biblical responsibility, they're something we have to have here, but they sit under elders, the elders are the ones who take the ultimate responsibility for the leading, governing and shepherding of our, of our congregation. Okay? So, elders, who are they? And there's several key texts, so what we're going to do is we're going to read them all out, and then I'll re re refer to them in general and point, pinpoint is to uh, certain bits as it becomes appropriate. So could somebody put up your hand to tell me you'll be the one who will look up at Titus 1, 5 to 9. Who's already, who'll look that, Andy will do that one. Uh, somebody do the two sections in 1 Timothy. Who's going to do that? Nathan's going to do that. Somebody do the section in 1 Peter. Thank you, Debbie. Uh, somebody do the verse in Hebrews 13. That would be Joe. And there's a longer section here, but it's worth reading it. Somebody do Acts 20, verse 17 to 32. 
Who's going to do that one for us, please? Brilliant. Matty will do that one. So if you're a fast Bible flipper, feel free to hop between these. If you're not, don't worry. I wish in hindsight I'd have like, put them all out on a sheet. It would have been yeah, a better thing to do. So note to self, I'll try and remember to do that for the next cycle of Membership Matters. Uh, who was going to do Titus chapter 1 for us? Andy, thank you. Oh, sorry, Andy, do you mind if I just stop you? This is a letter written to a guy called Titus, who's a church planter, effectively taken over as a leader of a church, trying to galvanise the body of believers together. So that's the context. That's who he's brought. Apostle Paul speaking to a guy called Titus. Go on, thank you, Andy. Sorry about that. There's a, there's a measure of demonst demonstratable gifting, skill and ability to be the shepherd people in things that are right, good and godly. And the place to look is at family. Always look at family. Uh, see how a fellow pursues, um, works towards the shepherding, setting the direction, um, choosing godly priorities, loving, giving himself away sacrificially for the family. Good. What else? Sorry? Yeah, so faithful in biblical, one-woman guy, one-woman guy. Uh, have you noticed what we said there? Got to be a man. That's one of the convictions of our local church. This isn't to say anything about women, that women are neither gifted or, or they're not bright enough to be able to do this. This is not an issue uh, of um, that women aren't good enough to do this. This is an issue of design. Uh, the Lord has intended that under this kind of male leadership, women and everybody will thrive. This is the kind of servant leader who loves God's people, has said, I will sacrifice for God's people, I will die for God's people in order to see them grow, mature. I will go through pain to help them love, uh, to help them grow, to help them to be everything they can be in Christ. Not to hold them down, but to lift them, make them mature, make them grow. I think that's the kind of leader that as, they, as that leader grows in that, they're the kind of leader that, they're the kind of male leader that everybody wants to follow, aren't they? That's the kind of, that's the kind of leader that my daughters are going to thrive under. That's the kind of leadership that my wife thrives under. Uh, and every pastor who's sitting, listening to this, and every elder who listens to this just feels terribly inadequate and says, oh, I've got so far yet to go. But we're recognising a type of person who is Christ-like, who is mature, who is growing in this, and is seeking to give their life away in order that others may thrive, and they do it even if it hurts and is painful for them. Okay? Any other comments about the kind of, the kind of man an elder is? A leader, a church leader. So, able to teach. Yeah, we're going to talk about this in a little bit. If you look through the, those two lists, basically there's only two things that aren't for every Christian. Every Christian should seek to be all of those things because they're character stuff. But there's two things that mark out an elder. Number one is that they're not a recent convert, so they don't fall under the same trap of the devil. And the second is that they've demonstrated skill in being able to teach the faith well. So in other words, you go to an elder and you, get, you talk to them about anything and what you should find is that they're, they're sort of 
coming through with a Bible answer. They can answer you from the Bible. They'll give a biblical perspective on stuff. That's what, that's what you'll pick up. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that a bit later on. Good. Anything else? Well, let's have a look at this other one then, which says appointed and recognized. And this is an interesting interplay. And this is one of the ways in which different churches from different traditions uh, uh, have different ways of doing structural leadership. We saw on the one hand uh, in, in Titus, the Apostle Paul called on um, Titus to appoint elders. So it seemed like elders appointed elders. And yet, at the same time, we see uh, in other sections of scripture that there's supposed to be a, recogni- a choice recognition and a, a willing sitting under of elders. We're what's called a congregational church, which basically has the conviction that when, it, when the Bible speaks uh, in Matthew 16 that the keys of the kingdom have been given to the church, it's the local congregation. In Matthew chapter 18, when there's issues uh, of people walking away from the Lord and it says take it to the church, it means the corporate gathering of the, those who are committed to that local church. So we're a congregational church in this sense that the seat of authority isn't the elders, but the local congregation as they sit under the word in the power of the Spirit. But that the local congregation appoints and recognizes godly men who fit this strategy and delegate to them the responsibility of leadership and say, we'll obey you. Do you see that? So the elders in our church can be removed from office because when they don't live up to these standards, they can be. So the elders are not their own source of authority. Their authority is born out of the fact that the corporate gathering of members have said, we are giving them authority to act on our behalf and to build us up, and we will follow and obey them. So do you see that interplay there? Delegated responsibility that is earned and demonstrated that responds in um, faithful obedience. Now I realise that's, that's an interplay, isn't it? But would anybody like to ask any questions about that at all? Brilliant, yeah, that's right. That's right. So what I want to say, let's jump ahead in that case. You see where I said godly men with authority. Can you see that section there? Did you hear in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, this is what it said. Keep watch over yourselves. This is Paul speaking to the elders. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the... The Holy Spirit has made you overseers, elders, pastors. So for an elder to be an elder in a church, there's some way in which the Holy Spirit has ordained and put his hand upon that. On top of that, there's the, the fact that the, the elders, their primary role is to teach. Therefore, they're not there to teach their own idea. Therefore, their authority comes from their ability to live in accordance with and teach in accordance with Scripture. So I can say a whole stack of stuff to you from the Bible, but if I start telling you the, paint, the colour of the paint of your kitchen... You're like, no, you haven't got authority because there's no authority in the Bible. To Do you see the difference? So sometimes that's, that's what makes us different from a cult. A cult says we're going to control everything you do. That's called heavy shepherding. No, what, what biblical leadership does is it 
servant-heartedly and lovingly shows this is what the scripture says and this is where the seat of the authority is. So there's an authority from the Holy Spirit making an elder an elder. There's authority that comes from the word. There's an authority and an inherent authority that is born out of an elder's character and maturity. So who are you most likely to listen to on road safety? Lucy or Bethany? You'd hope you'd pick Bethany, wouldn't you? Because there's a sense in which she's demonstrated a level of maturity that means that she's worth listening to. So if you've got a a leader or an elder who the church has recognised as saying, we know they're gifted to teach, we know they're seeking to live live for Christ, and if they say something to you, that's got a weight behind it, hasn't it? Even if initially, oh, you're going to think it through and ponder it just by virtue of the fact that they've got a character and a recognised character of love and grace um, that, um, that, well, that commends you to, to you. I'm sorry, I've mixed that up with the next one, which has the church. So if an elder of the church visits you, there's some sense in which the church is visiting you. I want to be really careful with that one because we don't want to get into Catholicism. What are we saying? If, if one of the elders is coming alongside you and saying, look, there's this, there's this element and part of your life that uh, you could really grow in, and there's ways in which it, you've got loads of scope to grow and look more like Christ in, in the way you conduct your life and your business. Um, you cannot turn around and say, well, what do you know? I can read the Bible for myself. Yeah, you can. But if you've got somebody who's been recognised by the local church as the one, ones, or one of the ones whose job it is to help you come to grips with the scriptures, you have to, if you've got any respect for the local church at least listen. Now, does that mean that pastors, elders, overseers are infallible when it comes to the handling of the word? No. They sit under the word. But it means there's a measure of authority there. Okay? So I think that's just me spinning out a little bit about where the authority is. The authority is in the word, but there's different ways in which the, lo- the, the our experience of uh, an elder leader under whom we're going to thrive uh, will come at us. Okay? Does anybody else want to ask any more questions or say anything more about that? I tell you, by the way, I don't like preaching on this. <laughs> it's like, oh, it feels like it's sort of like, ex- uh, yeah, it's not nice preaching on this. I wish somebody who wasn't a pastor or an elder could preach on this. That would be much better. I feel very exposed. Um, okay, well, in that case, look, could you spend five minutes looking at the next two questions? Can you see them there? What things in our culture mean we can often have an unhealthy suspicion that we don't really need leaders with authority? Okay. Second of all, why do you think that the Lord says we need godly men with authority to lead us? You see that? Okay. Have a little go around the tables. I'm also going to, whilst that happens, I'm going to put the ventilators on in here so it doesn't get too stuffy. All right. Five minutes. Have a go around your table. You heard it here first. Everything must be blamed on Tony Blair. Brilliant. Good. Next. It seems like um, we were saying it's, it's um, seen as a step back to kind of like submissive authority. So maybe because in the past authority's been misused or whatever. Mm. Nowadays it's all about you know self fulfillment, you know, Jesse J type stuff. You know you can do it. Brilliant. Know. So there's a there's a mood in an age that says you are most authentic when you are pursuing your own agenda script that you have constructed.
follow your dreams and to your own self be true. And it sounds quite enticing to somebody who thinks the world's all about them. So the idea that I will thrive and grow best when I have people who challenge me, help me to see things that before I couldn't see, it's actually quite a big step to embrace that, isn't it? Particularly for the reason you mentioned, that sometimes people in authority have often uh, acted for selfish gains and have been um, abusers of the, the flock or the government or the family or whatever it may be. So we've got those, that double thing. Number one, we've got the, the challenge of the reality that sometimes or we, we, we say authority is bad just because some people in authority have been bad. And then we say uh, we, it's music to our ears that uh, I can come up with all my own answers. Thank you very much. Okay? Brilliant. Good. Anybody else got stuff to say on that? really insightful isn't it and there's a sense in which we kid ourselves that we haven't that we've chosen those authorities that we put ourselves under whether it's fashions or um, the certain social pressures to spend or whatever it may be we, we kid ourselves that we've chosen it but most of the time we've we've not we've just capitulated to it so yeah that's really insightful thank you for that anything else on that one <laughs> it's okay to be less insightful that's okay I have a lot of tolerance for oh, yeah. this. Good. 
Yeah, so we realise there's, there's that sin issue that means that we're, we're not as tuned into spiritual things as we, we could. Why else? Well, is it, is it, uh, the ultimate authority, which is just the word God says you need godly men, is the authority over you. Hmm. Where, where, where does that come from? Good. And where does where does that marriage relationship get its authoritative structure from? Where's the pattern from? Creation. Creation. Trinity. Okay. God the Father sent the Son. The Holy Spirit came when the Son had done His work. The Son sent the Spirit. There is at the heart of God a delight and a joy in taking on of responsibility and serving of others in some sort of hierarchical structure. So the bottom line is the, the ultimate reason why this is here is it's not purely functional, although it certainly is. So everything Debbie said there was right, but the ultimate source of it is the character of God himself. There's some sense that when we work within this structure that he's put for us and we, we submit ourselves to godly leaders, we are in some sense being Christ-like. Uh, we are in some sense echoing and, and telling a tale about the very character of God himself. Isn't that exciting? If we do church right, we show off the character of God. Oh, that's exciting. Cool. Okay. Let's uh, move on to, well, elders, what do they do? Very good question. I know many of you have asked that on a number of occasions. No, come on, really, what does Stephen Anthony actually do? Okay. Uh, drink tea, work one day a week. Right. Uh, what do they do? Three areas and roles that come out of those passages that we spoke of. Some of them emphasize different ones more than the others. Uh, the three are govern, shepherd, and teach. Govern, shepherd, and teach. That's what elders do. That's how they function in the body. So first off, govern. That one in um, First Timothy chapter 5, verse 12, give special honor to those elders who direct the church's affairs well. That word direct is closer to rule or govern. So we said that the authority within the church is the local congregation obeying the scriptures, but in every context that might look a little bit different in terms of how you allocate your resources, who does what, what ministries. You know, there's, we, we've chosen, we have speakers, Wednesday club, we um, have a men's group, we have Sunday at a particular time and day. All those kind of things aren't done accidentally. It's somebody with some smarts, the elders, sitting down and saying, I think the best way for us to work out our fellowship together and do our mission and our ministry together, taking the principles of what the Bible says, is to do it this way. So somebody somewhere makes the decision. So what happens in our, our membership meetings is, and those of you who are members will hopefully better testify to this, is that our membership meetings quite often are the elders bringing issues and thoughts and strategy and vision and problems to the members and saying one of two things. Number one, we see that there's an issue developing here. We want your wisdom on it. Please come and speak to us so we can put it together, work it out, and on your behalf, as you've entrusted, we will gather together your wisdom, we will revisit the scriptures, and we will come up with a plan. So first thing is the elders seek to govern and lead by consensus as best they can, constrained by the wisdom of the members and the principles of scripture. So that's number one that happens in a members meeting. Number two that happens in the members meeting is the elders come and present something. And they say, listen, we
listen to all the things you've done. This is where we think we should go. Will you come with us? We're governing, we're leading, we're heading in this way. And if it gets to that stage, if a member comes along and says, no, or not sure about that, or quite more often it's, ah, it doesn't feel quite right, okay? What we need to do is we go back with them and we'll work it back out. We'll say, this is why we've come to our decision. Um, we realise that perhaps from where you're sitting it might look a little bit different, but we're trying to take in the whole picture and seeing this. And if you've got something new that we haven't seen, please feed it in again. But at the end of the day, unless a member can hold up a Bible verse and say, shouldn't go that way because it will contravene this bit of the Bible, then get behind us. And when we say, will you support this recommendation of the elders, we expect you to put your hand up. Okay? Effectively, every time the elders make a recommendation, in some small sense, it's a, it's a, it's a corporate vote of, of saying, yeah, we're with the elders, praise God, let's go that way, we trust them, we're submitting. So it's not a waste of a put of our hand, it's a put of our hand to say, look, we're all going in the same direction together. Do you see that? So on most issues of governance and direction of what, how, how the church's resources are, are allotted, what we do in terms of different predicaments and situations, most of it, it isn't a vote. Most of it, it's not a vote. Most of it is, we do it collaboratively, the elders pull it together, and you put up your hand and say, yeah, we're with the elders, we trust them. We see that they've gone about a process sensibly, biblically, gathered the wisdom, checked the Bible, and as men of conscience, they're trying to do the right thing. And if somebody comes along and says, well, I just don't have any peace about this, then I take a deep breath and I pray. And I say, listen, if you can't show me a verse... Or if you can show me a way in which the elders have gone about it in an ungodly way, that's okay for you to not feel peace about it. That's okay, and you should put up your hand. And you can, and in fact, there are people in this room who, when we've been talking about particular directions on, on certain moral issues, have said, it doesn't sit quite easy with me. And so they've come and they've said, how, how can I proceed with it? And they've come with a humility of heart, and we've been able to talk through. So even if, as an individual, they weren't totally sold on it, they were happy that the elders were seeking to be biblical and, and seeking to... Um, uh, pull the situation, head, uh, set the direction by the priorities of Scripture. Okay, so if somebody comes, but if somebody comes and says, "I have no peace," I feel like the Lord would is not letting. Like, I say, with all due respect, the God-appointed elders, recognised through the congregation, who you agree have gone through the process in an open and godly way and have tried to apply Scripture, uh, are saying, "Go with it." The rest of the church is saying, "Go with it." Could it possibly be? an overinflation of your own self-importance. Possibly. It could possibly be that. Okay? And of course you want elders who will be patient and shepherd people through that whole process. Okay? See how the family works there? So that is how the church is led and governed by the elders. So if you've got stuff that you're not sure of, if you're, if you're reading your Bible one day and you think, how can we... This, this element of the Bible doesn't seem to be reflected in our church's life. Or if you see a need of, of people who need serving and developing and growing, and you, and you say, oh, what would that look like in our church? Come to us, please. Give us your feedback. Say, look, I think this could possibly be an issue. And you'll probably get a, either A, I'm really glad you've, you've thought about that. I agree there's a need there. Can't see it straight away. Let's put it on the agenda. You'll get a, ah, yeah, I see what you're getting at. But this is the way we've tried to tackle that. Or you'll just get a, you're right. And I'm so glad the Lord is leading you to fix it. Yeah? Okay? Anybody got any questions on governance and rule 
of the elders in our church family. No? Brilliant. Okay, next one. So if the, the elders are to govern, oversee, rule, they're also to shepherd. And this is where you get the phrase pastor from. Okay? Uh, and I've put down four things. I could put more down. Uh, I want to put this one first one, share their lives, because I just think it's beautiful. All right? I just think it's beautiful. Turn up 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 7. I just wish I knew how to do this better. And I want to grow in it. I really do. Uh, oh, by the way, just because um, this is all a mentality that we want to be trying to foster towards everybody. It's not just the elders who do this, as we've seen from that familial <coughs> mentality. This is something we all want to be growing in. Uh, somebody read for us. First Thessalonians 2. Start to read from verse 7 up to 12. Somebody? Thanks, Debbie. Brilliant, thank you for that. Do you notice that phrase in verse 8? We loved you so much that we were delighted, it wasn't a burden, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but our lives as well, because you become so dear to us. So there's a picture of what godly leadership is looking, looks like. It, it welcomes ways to invite other people into life circles. What are the three relationship pictures that come out in that text there? Three relationship pictures. A mother who's tender, a father who is, what's the father doing there? Uh, yeah, encouraging, comforting, urging, dealing with, shepherding, directing, got an ambition for that, that youngster's life and saying, I'm not going to be passive in it, I'm going to be part of you growing got a direction on this nonsense about just let kids see what happens with no you biblical model is you take somebody who is growing and you shape them and you direct them uh, in in uh, towards lives worthy of God. one other relationship in there brothers and sisters so a church elder a church leader is in some sense got to be like a mum in some sense got to be like a dad but never forget that they're only simply brothers and sisters as well. They're not on a different spiritual plane. But what I'm showing you here, I'm showing you that elders want to welcome other people into their circle of life. Now, you, you need to say to yourself, okay, Steve, well, how do the elders in this church try and do this? And I don't want you to miss this, because I'm about to tell you this, so that you can help us pastor you well. If you are opt out of this option, I'd like, it doesn't mean that there's no way for us to do it, but you're not doing your bit to make it easy for us to do this. The way we do this is we set this up through the fellowship group system, and broadly speaking, and of course because of work commitment sometimes it's difficult, 
we try to have an elder who's involved in each of the fellowship groups, which means that one of the elders should be able to get a little bit closer to you. You're not going to be busy mates with all the elders. It just can't work. I've got six kids. It can't work, okay? So there's this desire to say we want to... Within our church, we've got four elders at the moment, and Lord willing, in the future, over the next year or two, hopefully we'll have a few more, that everybody in the church family, kids as well, will have a closer, uh, will be within the circle of doing life with all of the elders. Please make it, with multiple people, please make it as easy for us as possible. Be faithful at fellowship groups. And if because of work commitments or other things, you can't be there, um, it's, it's up to, as elders, we're, we're okay to be able to ask you back and say, well, if you, if you can't be part of the fellowship groups, can you give me another practical, reasonable way that won't kill me, that will enable me to be able to pastor, shepherd, care for you well, and let you see, be part of my life, because that's what I want, okay? So that's one of the reasons we bang on about fellowship groups, because under the governance gift that we've been given, we're saying that the, one of the chief mechanisms of pastoring, shepherding, and having you a part of our lives, and you seeing our lives, and us knowing you well, is the fellowship groups. So if you opt out of that, that's your choice, but it will require you to, um, to help us figure out with you how we will shepherd and, and do this for you. Do you see? So important this, isn't it? Because we want to share our lives with you. Does anybody want to ask a question on that? Broadly, and I'm not asking for a show of hands here, but would you broadly say that you understand the logic and that it vaguely makes sense? If you do, just nod a bit. Okay? That's the way we try to do it here at our church. Good. Let's flip over then. What else do elders do in terms of shepherding? What elders do in terms of shepherding is they keep watch. Back in Acts chapter 8, uh, sorry, uh, sorry, chapter 20, it's worth us reading those three verses. Has anybody got Acts chapter 20 open in front of them? Anybody got it open in front? Please, Anthony, could you just read those four verses, 28 to 31? Job is to listen out for wolfiness. 
So we heard, didn't we, in Titus chapter 1, and we heard that the elders must not just be able to teach what is in keeping with sound doctrine, but can you remember the other bit? Refute what? Okay, Titus chapter 1. They're to teach sound doctrine and to, ki- and to refute everything that is not in keeping with sound doctrine. So there's a sense in which a Bible, put, a Bible uh, an elder, an overseer, a leader, wants to be able to not just know what the truth is, but know what the truth isn't. And when they hear something that's, that isn't quite a godly perspective on that domain of life. Well, that teaching about, I mean, we, so often we think it's, it's doctrinal stuff on doctrinal statements. Most of the time it's, it's on things like the way you spend your money. Well, we, so, or or what we wanna, how we want to use our life, or the things we spend our time on. It's really, it's at that subtle level, isn't it? Because remember, we've had all the values of the culture and a secular humanist agenda pumped into our ears, and we just go with the flow a lot of the time. And so I'm sitting and talking with somebody, and uh, let's say, for example, um, I'm, I'm, they're looking for a new job, and they're trying to make choices about, they're trying to set a hierarchy of how they choose a new job. And almost without fail, there will be elements in the way, the things I ask them say, well, how are you going about making the decision? And, and some of the things they'll say will be just worldly attitudes. Now, I'm not having to go at the person because I know how to be worldly as well. But there'll be attitudes that aren't keeping, uh, and so I'll just push back and say, I can understand why that feels really precious and really important to you, but if we go back to the scriptures, what would be the order of priorities that we seek to do when we're looking to find a job? Uh, and if it's because it gives us loads of money, you'd say, well, we probably, yeah, I'm saying, I'm saying money's bad, but is, if that's your tre- chief motivator and your tre- chief driver, are you living by sound, in keeping with sound doctrine? Do you see? So I know on one level, Steve defends, defend the nature of the Trinity, and if anybody comes in and touches it, no, it happens at a much more subtle level. It happens at the subtle level of day to day, and one of the things that we do is we watch after you. We watch after you and we say, well, what, what, what story is the life telling, the choices making, uh, choices showing, how can we help shepherd and encourage the flock to live wholly, wholeheartedly, totally for the Lord Jesus? Okay? Does anybody want to say anything on that one? No? Okay? Next one. Pursue wandering sheep, and we do this on behalf of the church family. Uh, in Matthew 18, we haven't got time to go there now, and in 1 Corinthians 5 and in Titus chapter 3, there are examples of people who've made a profession of faith, who say they're standing for the Lord Jesus, but then when lovingly approached and done properly in a biblical way uh, by either members of the church or the church leadership, they, they just don't want to repent. And there's, there's three instances, or sorry, three occasions... Uh, that the New Testament mandates and says, on the, if these three occasions pop up, there may be the terrible possibility that you have to say to somebody who you've walked with as a brother, who you'd prayed for, who you'd encouraged, who you'd seen serve a lot, who you'd served alongside, you may have to say to them, you are no longer walking in keeping with your profession of faith, and we're going to have to put you outside of the church membership. The thing that you signed up for, you're no longer in that place anymore. Those three occasions are very simple. It's number one, heresy, i.e. they're teaching a gospel that is just not true. Uh, Number two is immorality, 
So they're making immoral choices in their life and they refuse to repent. Number three, it's been a constant and persistent cause of disunity through un unrepentant gossip or criticism, or backbiting or anger or division. You see? Now, what is the reason, and let me just come straight down to it. What is the reason uh, for, and we, we haven't got time to do a whole session on this at all. I could do an hour on this if you wanted. What is, the, what is the reason that sometimes people need to be put outside of church membership? Ultimately, it only ever comes down to one. It's the, it's the thing that gets you into church membership. Uh, it's whether or not you've got a repentant heart. Really, anybody who's ever been excluded from a church membership was ultimately not because they messed up, because who doesn't? It was because when they were challenged and encouraged and over a process of being loved and pursued and gone after by the shepherds, gone after by the church family, they said, no, I ain't going to call that a sin. I'm going to carry on on the way I'm going. I refuse to repent and I want what I'm choosing more than I want to live and walk faithfully according to Jesus. Under those horrible, 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 complicated, painful situations, one of the things the church elders have to take a lead in is putting people outside of the church membership. And it's a horrible, painful thing. Because invariably, it's usually happened over a, uh, a period of time and people have backed away and then they've built up negative um, criticism. They've said, well, if you'd done this for me, then maybe... And all of those things have to be worked through. But the long and the short of it is, it is a horrible and painful process when somebody walks out on their confession to Christ. And almost always, the leaders are the one who, ones whose fault it is, apparently. Uh, so it's always very, very painful and difficult. Uh, I've written something down here that I found in a... And we've been looking at a membership covenant and working on that as elders recently. And this is something I, f I thought put helpful words on it for people who were thinking about membership. And whether we put this into the membership covenant or not, like ways to, be, uh, ways to be seen. But would somebody, just to save my voice, mind um, just reading that paragraph out for us that's in the notes? So having said that, I hope you realise that what we're effectively calling to you if you're becoming a church member is to say, I'm signing up to this. I want you, whilst I'm in my right mind, I'm giving you permission to come after me and deal with me in a loving way when I'm in my wrong mind. Please. Okay? Now, if you find that difficult right now, please come and talk to us about